You're listening to the Centenary Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about how to join us for any of our worship gatherings at our 2800 or Park campuses, visit our website at lexchurch.com. We hope the Holy Spirit uses this message to help further and strengthen your faith in Jesus. So we in the business like to call this Sunday Youth Pastor Sunday. The reason we call it that, well, the reason I call it that, is because when I was a youth pastor in Houston, this was always the Sunday that I got to preach. Because the lead pastor would say, no, it's going to be there anyways. So if you mess it up too bad, that's okay. But you all are proving them wrong because you're here. So, thank you for being here on Youth Pastor Sunday. Now, that's not what we're calling it here. I'm going to actually stop that here. But I'm really happy you're here, and I hope to give you a message of great hope on a, on a passage that, at surface level, appears to give the opposite. But I have to be really honest with you. As I was preparing for this sermon, I had every intention of going a different direction Hope was on the docket, but then I kind of had to face reality this last week. We've got some different family situations going on that pretty much robbed me of all hope I had in the world. And so it became really, really difficult for me to find hope in the things of this world. And I really began asking questions as one instance occurred after the other. God, what is it that I'm supposed to hope in? Because when I look around me, there's not much. Do you want me to hope in the things of this world? Because they're coming up empty every single time. And while some of you may be in the exact opposite place than I am right now, I really thank God for that. But I know you know what I'm talking about. Because this world will rob you of all hope that you have. But Jesus and his second coming restore that hope. And I hope to show you that today. So I have the inevitable task of addressing the weeping and gnashing of teeth that occur when Jesus returns. I feel like maybe we've danced around this a little bit. We've tried to avoid it in the previous parables, not for any particular reason, but because it was avoidable. But now we have to face it head on, and for some of us, that may terrify us. I know it has for me for for a very long time, because for my whole life, our, our kind of perception of what the end times or what the second coming of Jesus will bring uh, and what God's judgment looks like are things like this. Maybe some of you saw that billboard driving to your family's house over Thanksgiving. There's also signs like this that we see that tell us Jesus is coming back soon, so prepare to meet God. And your two options are holiness or hell. Apparently this tells me I'm meeting God at 7.30 tonight, so I'll see you there. (laughs) And then another one, which uh, apparently the image was too blurry, so I'm sad you don't get to see it, but it was a picture, not that I took, but that actually was from where I did my undergrad studies at at Louisiana State University. Uh, And it was these people that we 
began call, we as in the students began calling the go to hell Tuesday people. Because on Tuesdays, I don't know if you know this, but they would come to campus and they would stand in what we called free speech alley and they would tell us all that we were going to hell for various reasons. But this is the world's perception of God's judgment. And I don't think the church is helping it. Actually, I think the church is part of the problem. But God's judgment is much different than all of this. And what occurs in the second coming of Jesus is different from all of this. Thomas Oden, who is a well-renowned theologian and who put together pretty much the definitive guide on, on various theological topics, um, says this when it comes to God's judgment. He, quote, he starts by quoting Martin Luther, saying that Luther commented, a physician says to a sick man, I want you to get well. I cannot save your life, but I want to help do it. But if the sufferer will not allow this or accept his services as doctor, the latter says, now I will not talk to you as a doctor, but because you compel me, I must be your judge and say you are going to die. Odin goes on to say, though God desires salvation of all, God does not coerce the will of the unjust to accept divine mercy. Yet judgment as such is never the primary purpose of his coming, but the consequence of ignoring his saving activity. What Luther and Odin and what I know Jesus is suggesting is that condemnation is not God's primary aim. I would almost venture to say that it's God's last resort. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what I hope you see today is that God's judgment on all of us is inevitable, but it's not his primary aim. God is just, but God is also love. Like I told you earlier, this is a message of hope, and our scripture today comes at the end of this discourse where Jesus is describing the parable, or describing the kingdom of heaven through parables. Chapter 13 in the Gospel of Matthew starts with Jesus describing the parable of the sower, where the seeds fall in various ways, and, and some take root, but then are scorched by the sun. Some never take root. Others take root and, and, and grow in miraculous ways. And then he goes into the next parable. It's, it's the parable of the weeds, where he says that, that a, a, a worker planted all of these great seeds and they took root, but then when he left overnight, the, the, the enemy came and planted weeds throughout his garden. His servant comes and, is, and says, Master, I thought you planted good seed. And he said, well, I did, but it seems that someone has planted weeds in the midst of it all. 
And this is the first hint we get that there is a separation in the second coming of Jesus because the servant is then tasked with taking the good crop and putting it in the barn and taking the bad and burning it. But then, I love what Jesus does here, then he shows us how simple it really is because he says the kingdom of heaven is is like a mustard seed that when planted, it grows into the largest tree into the garden. Or it's like a pearl that we find in the middle of a field. And that when we find it, we can't help but go sell all of our things and buy the whole field. And it's then, and only then, that he discusses our passage from today. Saying that in the end, a net is cast, and a multitude of fish, all different types, are gathered. That's us. And that the fishermen do separate the fish, good and bad. That's Jesus and his host of angels. And that there is consequence for the bad. That's a reality that we have. But it's not what we should be offering to other people. And right now, that's what the church is offering. So I'm gathering that Jesus is is laying it out pretty clearly for us that we do have a choice and that choosing life with him has its benefits. But not only its benefits, but it has great reward. Because for those of us that proclaim a belief in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, who in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and after doing absolutely nothing wrong, suffered under Pontius Pilate, where he was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, a lot of us believe that, right? Even non-Christians would say those things happened. But then there are some of us who go a little further and say, but wait, On the third day, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. God's not sitting in his heavenly throne aiming to to condemn any of us, and I, I think the book of 2 Peter really captures that well. Because Peter tells us this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. And this is the really important part. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And God wishes that all will reach repentance. So if that's God's aim, for me, it gets me pretty excited. Because I know that God is not looking to condemn any of us, but looking to welcome all of us into the kingdom of heaven. And not just all of us that are sitting into this room, but those who aren't in this room. So how should this make us act, knowing this? If this is our view of judgment, how should that make us act? I think John Wesley 
describes it well. He reflects on Romans 14.10, which discusses the judgment. Wesley says, what manner of persons then ought we be in all holy conversation and godliness? We know it cannot be long before the Lord will descend with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. When every one of us shall appear before him and give account of his own works. Wherefore, beloved, seeking you look for these things, seeing you know he will come and will not tarry, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Why should you not? Why should one of you be found on the left hand at his appearing? He wills not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By repentance to a faith in a bleeding Lord, and by faith to a spotless love, to the full image of God renewed in the heart, and producing all holiness of conversation. Can you doubt of this when you remember that the judge of all is likewise the savior of all? Has he not bought you with his own blood that you might not perish, but have everlasting life? And oh, make proof of his mercy rather than his justice, of his love rather than the thunder of his power. He's not far from any one of us, and he is now come not to condemn, but to save the world. And he stands in the midst. Sinner, does he not now, even now, knock at the door of your heart? Oh, that you may know, at least in this day, the things that belong to your peace. That you may now give yourselves to him who gave himself for you in humble faith, in holy, active, patient love. So shall you receive with exceeding joy in his day when he comes in the clouds of heaven. See, what Wesley is saying is that the second coming of Jesus should incite joy in us, not fear. That the judgment of God is a reality, but it's not our focus. It's there. It really is, and we can't ignore it. Because after each of these passages that we read, what follows it is a passage of judgment. But for a long time, the church has been offering the world judgment, and the world's not taking it. So what do we offer them? I think what Wesley says here is, I love when he says this, we offer them his love and not his justice. Make proof of his mercy, I think, through your life. So when I read all of that, it makes me a little less afraid of the second coming of Jesus. It helps me maybe not think too much about the billboards that I see. And it helps me understand something that I never understood as a child. When I was younger, I grew up in a small Methodist church in East Texas. When I was in sixth grade, we got a new pastor by the name of Scott Dornbush. And Scott became a very close mentor and friend of mine. And he would do as every good lead pastor does, and he would send letters out to the church periodically. He would sign his name at the bottom. But his signature, right above it, always read the words, anticipating the coming of Christ. And that confused me as a kid because in my confirmation class in the sixth grade, when I asked my teacher about the book of Revelation, he told me, no, we don't go there. That's a scary book. You can read that when you're older. And so I steered clear of it. But then one day I decided to face my fears. I decided to flip to the very back 
of the Bible. And I found out that it wasn't all that scary. In fact, it really did bring me hope. It actually got me excited for the second coming of Jesus. And when I read passages like Revelation 21, I can't help but smile. Because it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. I kind of wonder, how does that not make you smile? How does that not give you hope in the new world that is to come? See, that's why I've avoided language of end times or the end or anything like that, because I, I think that incites fear too. Because while God is promising the end to one thing, he's promising the beginning to something unimaginable, to something that brings unspeakable joy. That's what we should be offering to the world. Not forgetting that, that God's judgment and condemnation is there. But it's not what we should be offering people. So while I think this is a message of hope, I also think it's a call to evangelism. It's a call to sharing the gospel. Why would we not want as many people as possible around the heavenly banquet table with us? And so as we enter into the season of Advent, it's a time of preparation. While we prepare to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, this is also a time where the church prepares to celebrate his second coming, his second Advent. So I hope that I've given you a message of hope and I hope that you see God's judgment and, and Jesus' second coming a little differently. But not just that, I hope that you take it and that you offer it to someone else. I hope you take the pearl that Jesus has given you and that you offer it to as many people as you can, that you buy the whole field and welcome as many people as possible into it. So what I want to do now is I want to prepare us to prepare because I realize I'm a week early on this whole hope thing and Advent, but I'm just too excited. And so I've got a short liturgy that I want to do together. And so you'll see the words up on the screen, and I'll share the leader part, and you'll join in on the people part. But I want you to think about what God is offering us here, each week, not only each week in Advent, but here and now and, and in His second Advent. God is offering us all of these things, and all He says to do is take it. God's Spirit has led us here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. God's Spirit has led us here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is hope. 
God's Spirit has led us here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's joy. God's Spirit has led us here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love. There's a sweet, sweet Spirit in this place. And we know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. We know that it's the Spirit of the Lord that dwells in this place And I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord that dwells in our difficult times, in our difficult seasons. But thank you, Jesus, that what's offered to us is love, joy, peace, and hope. And I pray that in this Advent season, you're able to offer that to someone else. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you were encouraged by today's teaching, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcast. To listen to more content from Centenary Church, visit our website at lexchurch.com slash podcast. Thanks again.